We only have 13 verses to go through, and I want to remind you that chapter 12 uh, concludes the vision which began back in chapter 10, and it's really one vision, and everything about it must fit together sort of like a jigsaw puzzle. And so as we look at this last chapter, remember that in chapter 10, Daniel was praying, and in chapter 9 when he prayed, his prayer immediately was answered by Gabriel, and Daniel was used to having his prayers answered, period. Now he prays and nothing's happening. He doesn't eat, uh, he doesn't bathe for three full weeks because he can't figure out what's going on. And what finally happens is Michael, the archangel, uh, let me make a comparison here. Evidently, the highest order of angels would be archangels. And at one time, Lucifer would be the equivalent to Michael as both being archangels. Lucifer is the one who rebelled and took one-third of the angels with him. But Daniel's prayer, if you, want, if you remember, well, let's just turn back a couple pages and go back to Daniel chapter 10. And we read that, I believe it's Gabriel that appears to him. Uh, the reason that his prayer was held up, in verse 12 it says, that he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day, So that's three weeks earlier that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Now we have a hierarchy. And evidently this territorial spirit that is over Persia, which is modern day Iran, we talked about it quite a bit on Sunday, as we made the connection of the animosity right now that's going uh, between Israel and Iran. And by the way, today is the ninth of Av. And if you don't know what that means, you have the news bites and it'll explain what happened and, um, on the ninth of Av. But my point in going here is it wasn't until Michael uh, showed up, one of the chief princes, In the book of Jude, he's called Michael the Archangel, which is the highest order of angels. Uh, He was the one who came to help me, for I had been left alone with the kings of Persia. So I go here because as we finish the book of Daniel, he is doing everything in his power so that you don't have the information that you're going to receive tonight. And one of the things that he doesn't want you to know is his fate. And he really only has one card that he can play. And that'll, I'll develop that thought as we go through our Bible study tonight. Um, so with that little bit of an introduction, um, let's look at just the first verse here. And uh, we'll probably get done early tonight. Can you imagine getting done early? I can't. <laughs> But with 13 verses, we do have some interesting cross verses. But this first verse, at that time, uh, Michael will stand up, that great prince who stands watch 
over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book of life. What we have in view in verse one, and I'll begin it with a question, (coughs) excuse me, by what authority do we call this period of time of great trouble the great tribulation? I'm gonna have you turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus is, first of all, verifying in verse 15 that Daniel was legit as a prophet. Verse 15 says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and then in parentheses it says, Whoever reads, let him understand. And I simply think that means... Um, know the book of Daniel. What is the main points and truths that Daniel is getting across? The abomination of desolation, we have a picture of it um, being played out in about 164 AD with Antioch Epiphanes. And he was a type of the Antichrist. He actually um, went into the temple poured um, swine broth in the Holy of Holies and then set up a a monument to Jupiter. And that was referred to as abomination of desolation. But it's really only a picture of the real one that's going to come. So here Jesus is verifying, but now he's talking about it in the future tense, another desolation. And the Lord is saying to them, when you see it happen, he says, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back for his clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Uh, for then there will be, and here's where we get this terminology, Uh, Chapter 12, verse 1, is what I'm about to read right here. For there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be, and unless those days are shortened, uh, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days would be shortened. Go back to uh, Daniel. And the question, by what authority do we call this period of time Here it's called a time of trouble such as never been or will ever be again. The Lord is the one who is stamping that this is actually true, it's going to happen, and it's yet future. So this event, even as we stand here tonight, the stage is set for um, this to unfold. I believe we're very, very close for the Lord's coming and the rapture of the church as we're watching so many things take place. But by what authority do we call this period the Great Tribulation? Jesus himself is the one who calls it a time that has never been and a time that will never ever be again. Brings us to um, verse two, uh, the prophecy of the resurrections and it's plural. We read, 
And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Um, those who are wise will shine like the brightness. I'm going to leave verse 3, and let's just deal with the, with the resurrection here. Actually, the Bible states that um, all are raised, but there's actually two resurrections. Um, we find at the, um, uh, during the tribulation period, um, it says, blessed are those who are part of the first resurrection. Over them, the, the second death has no power. So basically, we just have a summary here of resurrections, and it really doesn't fill in all the details. And so when we don't have more details given, you always have to fall back on what we know is true. And um, in 2 Corinthians 5, we fall back on what we do know. What happens when a Christian dies? So we read in verse one, for we know. So Paul's talking with certainty here. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, of course he's talking about our bodies, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And verse two says, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan. Can anybody say amen besides me to that? (laughs) Oh Lord, I'll take my new body anytime. We're being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us a spirit as a guarantee. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, that's us right now, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Then he says here, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So as Daniel 12 verse two is talking about resurrections, um, there will be, uh, we'll be talking about more about that on Sunday because we'll be talking about the rapture as a type of resurrection. Um, but here, um, um, it's an instantaneous event. And as soon as this tent is destroyed, we have another home already prepared for us, eternal in the heavens, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So as we think about us being resurrected, no, you're immediately taken to be with the Lord um, when you die as a believer. Uh, Not the same with an unbeliever. Uh, That would fall more into the category of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man died and he went to hell and he is there as I speak tonight. He, won't, he, he will be resurrected and I'll get to that. I'll, let me touch on it twice because I got, we don't have that many verses to go through. 
Um, he, he will be resurrected, but not until after the 1,000-year millennial reign. And uh, we'll, we'll get to that, and he will be judged according to his works. So that was 2,000 years ago. It's, it's called the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, except when uh, we're teaching about parables, one thing that makes a parable a parable is you can't use proper names. And in the rich man and Lazarus, we have a proper name. So it's not a parable. It's a real event that took place. There is a man who was concerned when he realized his fate was sealed, all of a sudden he has a heart for his lost brothers. Didn't before, but does now. But there's nothing he could do about it. So let's go back to um, uh, Daniel. So when we talk about this, we have two resurrections um, that'll take place and one to everlasting life, and the other to shame and everlasting contempt. Now verse three. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Uh, This week we're having vacation Bible school for the kids. And uh, there are parents who are investing their time and their energy. They're here all day. Um, I was blown away just by the work that has gone into preparing for what they're doing for the kids that are showing up for vacation Bible um, class this week. And um, if you want to sneak down into the basement and just get just to see how dramatic it really is and what a great job they've done, check it out. It's really worth checking out. So uh, with this verse being read here, they're being an influence in these young people's lives. I'm going to have you turn to 1 Corinthians at this time, chapter 3, and give you a little bit more insight on what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ. Now there's a great white throne judgment. That is for the lost, That's where the rich man is going to eventually be judged. But then there's the judgment seat of Christ. And here, uh, we will be judged for our works that we're involved with right now. Now, in Daniel, it tells us if you're wise um, and you're winning people to Christ, you're going to shine like the stars forever. This gives us more clarification. Um, If you look at verse 11, let's pick it up there. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, and then there's wood, hay, and straw. It says each one's work will become manifest for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Well, we know we're not saved by works, but yet it says in James, because we have faith, I'll show you my works, because I have faith. Now, the more that you invest 
especially when it comes to sharing Jesus Christ with other people, um, that is forever going to be imprinted on a person's mind. Who was it that told you about Jesus Christ? Just think in the back of your head right now. Do you know that the person that led you to Christ is going to be eternally grateful that God used you as an instrument (laughs) to bring them to salvation? And that you're going to have that awareness that you were an instrument during that period of time. And as a result, according to Daniel, you'll shine like the stars forever. So here, when we talk about works and the things that are done in Jesus' name, um, what I really think we have in view here is motive. Why we do what we do. And um, Chuck always tells the story about uh, the, the guy that came in and uh, offered him a million dollars. He says, uh, I, I want to write out a check and uh, make it out for a million dollars. And uh, he says, I hope you don't mind, but I've called up the local news agency and they're, they're going to come and take pictures of, uh, of me signing the check over to you. And Chuck just looked at him and, and said, you know what? At this time, World Vision was really promoting and preaching the gospel, not just a social gospel. Chuck says, you know, we really don't need that million dollars, but I know World Vision does. You see, he didn't want any part of it because the guy's motive was just to get his name in his paper, and that's what I think we have going on here. He did it to draw attention to himself, and uh, we're told to God be the glory great things he has done. So when, when we do something, and you can get complimented. Sometimes somebody will compliment me for something, whatever, and you can be gracious and say, well, thank you very much. But in the back of your head, you better be going, all good and perfect gifts, Lord, come from above, not from me. And, and, and then I'm repeating to myself, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. And my heart is deceitfully wicked above everything who can know it. What does that mean? Paul says, I don't even judge myself. He says, my flesh is so doggone tricky, it'll take credit for something that I shouldn't be taking credit for. And so what we have in view here is when we're at the judgment seat of Christ and we have the penetrating, one of the reasons that it says, um, judge not and you won't be judged, right? Well, it also says that the spiritual man judges all things. So obviously we've got two kinds of judgment going on here. Um, We are to be discerning in pointing out false doctrine and telling you the truth that the prosperity doctrine is not of the Lord. It's about really self or the social gospel. Uh, Anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have to make a discerning judgment and even take it a step farther and tell you what people to look out for that are perpetrating this other gospel. So that's called discernment, and I use judgment to make that discernment. Is everybody tracking with me? But if you do something in the name of the Lord, I'm not to look at you and wonder, I wonder why you're really doing that. Because you know why? I can't see in your heart. Only the Lord knows why you do what you do, and it's none of my business. He's gonna take care of that right here, and that's Let's go back to our verse. If Verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. That means his motive, motive is right. 
And uh, he did it because he loved Jesus. Paul says, it's the love of Christ that constrains me. He says, I can't keep my mouth shut. I have to talk about Jesus because I love him. If anyone works is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. This verse tells me that there's gonna be people in heaven who will have absolutely no treasure whatsoever. Were they saved? Yep. Were they born again? Yep. And then they pretty much invested nothing into the kingdom of heaven. But here it tells us um, all their works were burned up. That's the wood, hay, and stubble. But having said that, he himself will be saved. So what what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that in heaven uh, that everybody's joy will be full. But I would go as far to say that some people's ball of joy is gonna be a whole lot bigger than others who have absolutely nothing. Going back to Daniel chapter 12, those who are wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So as we think things through and the older I get, I think, you know, nothing really matters. Material things really don't matter. And they're all gonna burn and pass away. And um, I got to talk to a neighbor. Um, I was just driving by his house. I haven't seen him in years. And so I I pulled my car over and we started chatting. And he mentioned that he went to a Bible study. And I said, I called him by his first name. And I said, I I didn't know you even went to church. And he goes, yeah, we, we go to this particular church, it was a denominational church that I grew up in. So he begins to tell me, we were having this Bible study and we were reading about when Jesus descended into hell and nobody could figure out why he went there. <laughs> so for the next half an hour, I started, and, I, and, and I, we went to Ephesians chapter four, and I, and I went through those scriptures that says, that says before Jesus ascended into heaven, What does it mean that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth and he led captivity captive? Uh, And I explained um, um, the whole story of of the rich man and Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. I said, this is why Jesus went down there to set the captives free. And I said, can you remember, or do you need to write these down? Because you need to write down Matthew 27, 2, verse 52, which tells us that after his resurrection, it said many of the graves were opened and appeared to many in Jerusalem, but then it clarifies, it makes, makes it very, very clear that Jesus had to rise first. What did he say to the thief on the cross? Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, we know that Jesus didn't go to heaven for th- at least three days. And uh, so paradise can't be heaven. Paradise is actually called Abraham's bosom. Well, he just says, you know, Dwight, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that you stopped by today. <laughs> I'm gonna go back to our Bible study and fill them all in. And um, I said, well, I just happen to have a God of wonders here and agenda two. Would you like to take these with you? And he says, yes. So um, I believe uh, this man is saved. He's seeking, he's hungry. And I said, look, I know because 
the church that you're involved with was what I grew up in. And I know you don't take a literal view of the book of Revelation. If you'd like to get caught up, I gave them our website, told them you can go online anytime and watch any one of our Bible studies. We're currently going through the book of Revelation. He says, what's that website? <laughs> All right, so a little sidetrack there. Let's go back to verse 14. Um, so I make the point that he considered it a divine appointment, and so did I. And we're to, doesn't the Bible tell us to be instant, in season and out of season? You know what that means? That means whatever your schedule is, be flexible, and if the Lord has put somebody in, in your path um, and there's an open door to witness, then go for it. So, um, if anyone work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Back to the book of Daniel. My friends, especially in the times in which we're living, we have so many opportunities to take the conversation and point it towards what's going on right now. And as time is going on, there's more people like the the, uh, doctor that we showed tonight. They're coming out, and some of them very passionately. And they're saying there's more that's going on today. By the way, um, Patrick Woods, uh, who was one of our speakers for the pastor's conference, was on Stand Up for the Truth today, talking about technocracy, which is really what is happening right now. There's the medical side of things, but then there's the political side of things with uh, Bill Gates and the, uh, George Soros and their agenda that they have in forming a one-world government. And uh, I would encourage you to, who was I talking to? I can't remember who's talking to somebody. Um, you can go on their website, and uh, they have um, every message for the last couple months. Chris Quintana was on yesterday. And then Patrick Woods was on today. Both are very good friends of mine. They had Curtis Bowers on last week. So you can go and watch uh, any of these that I strongly encourage you to do so. Uh, Patrick just knocked it out of the ballpark today and explained from a political perspective. I think Patrick is probably, he's been doing this for 40 years, and I think he's probably one of the leading authorities in the world on what technocracy is all all about. All right, so we made it all the way up to verse three, and we find, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge will increase. So what I'm gonna read here, we have, um, if I take this literally, traveling to and fro, going back and forth, a week from tomorrow, I'm hopping on a plane, going to Kansas City, and speaking at um, a conference just south of Kansas City. Um, stopping that song we sang tonight, uh, I Want to Take Some Time. It was written by Paul Clark and um, on one of his first albums. So Paul was supposed to be here either on the 2nd of August or the 9th of August, because they have an annual family get-together up on Washington Island. But because of the pandemic and everything that's going on, I called him, and I said, what is it, the 2nd or the 9th? He says, neither. Uh, his his um, 
relatives can't make it up there because of the pandemic. So what I'm going to do is, uh, he says, Dwight, you're driving right by my house. So I'm going to stop in and, and um, just fellowship with Paul and make it in time for the uh, evening session on Thursday night. I bring that up because I'm going to hop out of plane and be there in a couple hours. That's traveling to and fro. Then it says, knowledge shall increase. I'm just going to read a paragraph here about knowledge double, doubling curve. Um, Buckminster Fuller created the knowledge doubling curve. He noticed that until 1900, human knowledge doubled approximately every century. And then by the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. Today, things are not as simple, and different types of knowledge have different rates of growth. For for example, nanotechnology. Knowledge is doubling every two years, and clinical knowledge every 18 months. But an average human knowledge is doubling every 13 months. According to IBM, um, the build out of the internet of things will lead to the doubling of knowledge every 12 hours. Just let that sit in a little bit. Mary gave me some stats. I wish I could put them all up here. Um, Just since our modern times, there's about 500 million tweets are sent a day, 294B, that's a billion, um, emails are sent. Um, four petabytes, I'm not even sure I know what a petabyte is, of data are created on Facebook. Four petabytes of data are created for each um, connected car. 65 billion messages on, are sent on WhatsApp, and five billion searches are made. And um, so we're talking about a time that's going to be towards the end where it tells us knowledge is going to increase and people will be traveling to and fro. Verse 5 through 7. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on the riverbank and the other clothed on the other riverbank. Remember, this vision all takes place at the same place, at this, wherever this river is. And now he says there's two angels, and um, the one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, well, how long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it will be for a time, times, and half a time when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things will be finished. Now, the angels already knew. They're, t- they're talking out loud so Daniel can hear. And the question is, well, when... What time frame is this going to fit into? And it tells us here for a time, times, and half a times. All right, let's turn to the book of Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. There is symbolism in Revelation chapter 12. The three characters are a woman, 
a male child, and a fiery red dragon. The woman is Israel. The child she gives birth to is Jesus because Jesus is Jewish and came out of the tribe of Judah. And as soon as the child was born, the fiery red dragon wanted to devour her child. This is a picture of Herod sending his henchmen to Bethlehem, and we have every male child two years and under were killed. And that's what we have in view here. Uh, Jesus' uh, father, earthly father, Joseph, was warned in a dream to head for Egypt. So that's the, the, the three um, characters here. And then in verse seven, and war broke out in heaven. And Michael and his angel fought against the dragon and the dragon fought against his. The dragon here, as I mentioned, um, well, it tells us who the dragon is in verse nine. Um, well, we'll read verse eight too, but it did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. Now his identity is revealed to us. He is a serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So we should never equate, as some do, that um, uh, Jesus would be equal like to Lucifer. No, the equation is Michael the archangel would be the equivalent to his adversary, um, Satan, who is also, I believe, an archangel. And here they're battling in heaven, and they're cast out. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, why? For the devil has come down to having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. All right, Daniel chapter 12 begins with talking about a time of trouble that has never been before. Now the question that the information that's given to Daniel is when and where is this going to take place? This tells us. Uh, they set a time and a time and half a time. So that's three and a half years. Verse 13, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman, which is Israel, who gave birth to the male child, which is Jesus. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. What did Jesus say in Matthew 24? When you see the abomination of desolation, then run because there's, there's gonna be a time that's never been like it before, ever, nor will there ever be a time like it again. Where she is nourished, notice the wording, for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Again, I want to point out, if it's not obvious, and it should be obvious, that you need to have an understanding of the book of Daniel if you're going to have an understanding of the book of Revelation. Good place for an amen. And here we see it. I mean, the, the same verbiage. This three and a half year period of time, 
Um, of course, is um, sometimes it's called 1,260 days. That's, if you just turn back one page to chapter 11, um, I will give, verse three, I'll give power to by two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days. This is another way of saying three and a half years. The difference here is after we're raptured, these two guys who I believe are Moses and Elijah, they show up. And we're told that they can do whatever they want to, miracle-wise, for the next three and a half years. Now, the second half of the three and a half years, and again, I can't emphasize this enough, Satan does not want you guys to get this or understand it because it reveals the only card that he can play. Jesus said you won't, he's talking to Israel before he sent the disciples out and he says, you're not gonna see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those were his closing words to Israel and they missed it. Jesus, even in quoting Luke 19, he says you missed it because you did not know the time or the day that could have been yours. The day, what's so important about the book of Daniel? Two main things. It tells us to the day Jesus would be worshiped as God, April 6, 32 AD. And as we close the Bible study tonight, I will tell you the very day he's gonna come the second time. So Daniel is important and gives us information that Jesus is the Messiah and only Jesus could be the Messiah. And it tells us when he would be worshiped on that Palm Sunday, but also also to the very day when he's gonna return to this earth. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So we read here, the one card that he has to play, the only hope that he has, which he doesn't have any hope because I've read the book, the end of the book, he loses, is to destroy Israel. If there is no Jewish people and there's nobody to say, Lord, we call upon you. Um, if he can destroy the Jewish people and there's nobody to make Lord come and save us, and I'll be going to those verses, then um, that's what Jesus said is gonna bring him back when they call out upon him. All right, now go with me to the book of Zechariah. And there's two places I want you to find, Zechariah and Hosea. Let's go to Zechariah for starters. These are hard scriptures for me to read because Daniel starts out by saying um, it's going to be a terrible time for the Jewish people. And after um, he was supernaturally protected, it tells us in Revelation 12 that he went to make war with the rest of the woman's seed, in other words, Israel. All right, we have detail given to us here. Go to chapter 13 of Zechariah. In verse eight it says, it will come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. In other words, two-thirds of the population of Israel that's there today is gonna be wiped out during the second half when the enemy is cast down and he goes after the woman. And but one third will be left behind. I believe, according to Isaiah 16, that place is Petra. 
and um, uh, they, that's where they'll be supernaturally protected. I will bring one third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested and they will call on my name. So during this time where a remnant or one third are still alive, it tells us here they're actually gonna call on the name of the Lord. And the Lord said, I'll answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord, he is my God. Now we even have more detailed information in Hosea. Hosea, if you're in Zechariah and you're turning, go to your left, um, go past Micah, go past Obadiah, and uh, you'll end up in Hosea. And I'm interested in the last verse of chapter five and the first two verses in chapter six. So if you're in Hosea chapter five, this is the Lord talking, and you read in verse 15, he says, I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense. And notice it's singular. Then they will seek my face in their affliction. They will diligently seek me. Daniel tells us, Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, that it'll be a time like never before. Zechariah says as much as two-thirds of them will be destroyed. And during this time of affliction, it says, um, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their sin. Well, what was the sin that Israel, singular, not sins? Well, they didn't receive the Messiah when he came. They were, John 1, if you're taking notes, verse 11 says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. So the sin of them is, is um, um, that offense, singular, but they'll seek my face during this terrible time that they're gonna go, go through, in their affliction, they will diligently seek me. Now, I don't think there should be um, a, div- a chapter division here, or this should be verse one of chapter six. For it says, this is what they say in chapter six, verse one. They say, come and let us turn, return to the Lord. He has torn, he will heal us. He has stricken, he will bind us up. Notice it says, after two days, he will revive us. This is one place where it says a day is to the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. This is where I actually feel this is appropriately to fit that in. How long has it been since um, Israel rejected their Messiah? Oh, 2,000 years ago. A couple days ago, two days. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, well, that's another 1,000-year period of time. They enter into the kingdom age. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Um, so here is where I believe the remnant who is purified calls on the Lord, and he, uh, he hears, and we have the second coming. All right, let's go back to... Um, um, Daniel and finish up eight through ten. Let's just go that far. Although I heard, I did not understand. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> then I said, "My Lord, 
what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Now I find this interesting that the word seal is used. And as we get into chapter six, as Jesus takes the scroll, he opens what? The seals. And the information isn't going to be given to Daniel. Daniel wants to know. But basically the Lord says, no, nobody's gonna understand this. Uh, It's gonna be shut up and sealed. Um, People who wrote in the 1800s that knew their Bible were saying that uh, Jesus could not come back until the 20th century. And um, that's because we have the technology for these things to happen. It says, many will be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise will understand. And so Daniel is basically being told the command to go your way is literally merely to go, but it was not meant physically. The angel was telling Daniel to make a mental departure from the question. It's not for you to know. And it won't be known until Israel actually becomes a nation again. Um, And that brings us to our last uh, verses here. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335th day. Okay, here we have the very middle of the tribulation because that's when the abomination of desolation takes place. Hopefully none of you are there. (laughs) But uh, maybe somebody's watching live stream out of curiosity and they're not saved. And you might be there. And you see this event take place. Well, Jesus said, when you see it, the abomination of desolation, run. And we know that it's for a time, times, and half a times. So it tells us that 1,290 days after the abomination of desolation, we have the second coming of Jesus Christ. Daniel gives us the date of the first coming and also the date of the second coming. Do you understand why he doesn't want you to have this information? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24 again. Let me draw your attention to verse. This is in reference to the second coming of Christ. In verse 29, well, in verse 27 it says, as the lightning comes from the east to the west, so will it be the coming of the Son of Man. And so it tells us that that, uh, they will see him. In verse 29 it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man. When will it happen? Will appear in heaven. Immediately after the seven-year tribulation. Now, go to chapter 25, and it begs the question, why are you blessed if you make it to the 1,335th day? If you do the math here and subtract um, 
1290 from 1335, you have the number 45. So there's a 45-day period of time after Jesus returns, and you're blessed if you make it into that period of time. So what's going on? Well, in Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and his holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Now, there will be people um, alive at the end of the tribulation period. Um, And some will be saved who did not take the mark of the beast, and others who openly did. And now it's time before we can enter into this 1,000 period called the kingdom age, you can only enter in if you're saved. And if you took the mark of the beast, then you can't. So evidently this 45-day period of time is a time of judgment of separating sheep from the goats because all the nations are coming together and it clearly tells us that the Lord is separating them one from the other And verse 33, he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food and I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the Righteous will answer him and say, Lord, well, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and you gave drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Two trains of thought here. How you treat the nation of Israel or how we Um, interact, on Sunday we're taking a love offering for Amun um, because she's trying to help the gypsies get off the street, get an education, and um, in doing so, we're doing it in Jesus' name. Is is it us that's doing it? No, we're just saying this is being done in the name of the Lord. And that's what he's referring to. You've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Then he will say to those on his left hand, these are those who took the mark of the beast, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire for the devil and his angels. I want to emphasize the word everlasting fire. There's a doctrine out there, it's called annihilationism. And basically the train of thought with this false teaching, and there's a very well-known, respected pastors in our country that hold to the doctrine of annihilation. Annihilation means that you go to hell, but not for eternity, that eventually you perish. And they, their, their rationale is completely emotional, certainly not biblical, because the thought of being eternally punished is something they can't, handle emotionally. So they come, up, they come up with what we call annihilationism. That's not what the scriptures teach. 
And as hard as it is for us to talk about the reality of hell and it being eternal, I'm not going to try to dodge this and um, say that everlasting doesn't mean everlasting. And he says, for I was hungry and he gave me no food. I was thirsty and he gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. In prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister you? And he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not unto me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We close the book of Daniel with it saying, Blessed is he who makes it into the 1,335th day. Why are they blessed? Because they're the ones who enter into the kingdom age for the next 1,000 years. That's why in Hosea chapter six, it says on the third day, he's gonna raise us up and we're gonna live in his sight. And thus we have the end of the book of Daniel. And the last thing it says, but Daniel, you go your way till the end, for you will rest and you will rise to your inheritance at the end of the days. So it tells us here to rise. So if you would rise, please. <laughs> and let's thank the Lord for this incredible book of Daniel. Lord, what can we say? as we analyze the spiritual warfare that our adversary, the God of this world, does not want us to have this information. And we thank you, Lord, that there is gonna be a remnant that will enter your kingdom. As your word tells us, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, then all of Israel will be saved, making reference, Lord, to this remnant that you're, going to take into the kingdom age. So Lord, we thank you um, for this evening. We thank you for our study in the book of Daniel. Please go before us as we continue in the book of Revelation this Sunday. Lord, bless your people as they go out tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.